Dotnet Rocks, episode 1067, with guest Itamars and Hershko. Recorded Tuesday, November 25th, 2014. Hey, 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 it's Carl Franklin and... And Richard Campbell. Hey. Hey. Dotnet rocks again. Yeah, my dog's depressed. Why? It's raining. Oh. He's just sort of looking out the window. Then he saw a squirrel, he wasn't depressed anymore. Yeah, you know, it's been a long time. I had border collies growing up. Yeah, you haven't had a dog in a long time, have you? Really smart dogs. Yeah, but my first wife didn't want a dog. Right. My current wife doesn't want a dog. Yeah. But you know what? Um, Dogs are... Great, and then they're not so great, are yeah. they? Well, especially, I mean, I mean a Border Collie is a high-maintenance dog, right? They're very intense. They're they're so smart, they're almost neurotic. They are, and they get neurotic if you don't keep them interested yeah. in stuff, and you, they're very active, too. Where my dog is not that bright. Fearless, but not that bright. A, a very intelligent dog would not charge at a bear. <laughs> it's kind of like having a three-year-old that never grows up. Yeah, a three-year-old that's <laughs> just utterly fearless, like just straight in... Anyway, he's he's about to turn ten. He's in he's in good shape and still chasing yeah. bears. All right, enough about dogs because I got something interesting directly related to yesterday's show. All right, so remember the show we published yesterday with John Stark, yeah, which was such a lot of fun. Great show. Yeah, I feel like we we when we spend half an hour just talking about that crazy Starbucks card and another half hour just talking about watches. Yeah, so it was funny. Um, Jay, my brother, edited the show and he goes. You interviewed a guy who was in a coffee shop? Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the scheduling worked out that way. Yeah. You know, it just, we had to do it. So, um, but anyway, he used very minimal processing on the voice and it sounds pretty good. Great. But yeah, there was all sorts of stuff going on in the background. Sure anyway, was. so, all right, so roll the music and I'll tell you what I got. Okay. <laughs> All right, what do you got? So you remember in yesterday's show, we were talking about belts. Yeah. Power belts. Yeah. So it would be nice to have a belt. And I've had this idea for years. I mean, 10 years ago, I was talking about this on this show. Um, a belt that has batteries built into it. Yeah. And so you don't really notice it. It doesn't add extra heft to you. And it doesn't. it just goes around your waist like a belt. Right. Well, they got one. Tinyurl.com slash power belt. Power belt. All right, I got to look at this. It's an Indiegogo. It's actually on TechCrunch, but it's an Indiegogo. Nifty is the name of it. A hardware startup which has previously turned heads with, with its clever SD card. The mini drive designed to expand the memory of ultrabooks like MacBook Airs has come up with a new product. The XOO belt is a designer belt that will charge a smartphone. Cool. 2,100 milliamp hours of power. All right. That's not a huge amount. But it says it's enough to fully charge an iPhone 6 with power to spare. For sure. So here's the thing. With batteries the way they are today, to make a belt that looks and feels like a belt also be a battery, you're not going to get all that much power. No, it's only, it can only be so thick, which I appreciate that. that it's, yeah, I appreciate it too. You know, they, they, they're still going to be a belt, but it's got enough power to, to get you through. And you'll always have it with you. But it's a start, right? And, right. you know, the only question is, you know, is it going to give you testicular cancer or, you know, eh, whatever? It's just a bad, if we're going to, you know, that was always my line with the Bluetooth headset, right? I keep my phone <laughs> in my pocket and I'll get brain cancer and testicular cancer at the same time. It's excellent. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, you know what? I'm looking at the Indiegogo. I think I just might contribute to this. They haven't Sounds... quite made their goal yet, but it's only been going for a couple of days. Yeah. Good stuff. But they are... uh yeah, the belt's a hundred was a hundred bucks for the early bird, and now it's a hundred and twenty five. Yeah, yeah, I think I might have to have one of these. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I blame you, Mister Franklin. Apologize to your wife. Actually, that nah, would be the first time. All right, so that's it. No, learn and love it, Richard. Who's talking to us today? I love that. By the way, that's awesome. Grabbed a comment off of show ten sixty two, the one we did with Scott Ford, we're talking about brownfield applications. Which, by the way. One of the most heavily commented shows we've had in a while. Lots of comments. I, and you know, it's, it, I, mean, I hate to say this, but it sure feels like old guys. All these fo old guys that are supporting older apps are like, yeah, man, I'm not, a, we're not alone. But you know, they don't never get any love. Yeah. It's they're true. not the heroes of, of the, you know, they're the quiet guys who keep stuff running. And that's 
Very important, really as I important. said on the show. And one comment literally climbed to the top of the list with the most likes from a bunch of different people. William Evanson's uh, comment here, and he says, uh, I've banned my team from using the term legacy code. Mm -hmm. The term has such pejorative connotations. The word yeah. legacy indicates it is out of fashion. It either should be replaced or given offshore group to maintain. The problem is code becomes legacy the instant it is deployed to production. This means that at any given point, only 0.001% of the code base is actually new. Right. Having a negative view of brownfield code means you have a negative view of the majority of your job as a developer. Everything you work on is some form of old and getting older. <laughs> old and getting older. I don't know that I really agree with that. I, for me, it's legacy code if I'm afraid to recompile it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> or afraid to open it. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, you can read source all day long, but can you actually compile a new version of the app and deploy it and have some sense you're not going to be killed? Like, well, now Visual Studio complains that you it, just when you open stuff, if mm -hmm. it can't find things and, you know, you're in new get hell, yeah, for example. Well, they, 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 when you open it and it spews er errors about libraries missing, that's a pretty clear sign. You should try and compile this. Nothing good will come of that. Right. Uh, but William continues. Uh, we forget that the reason money shows up in our bank account every couple of Fridays is because the old code is actually generating value right now in production. Right. The greenfield code is simply hypothetical. Actually, it's promises. It's dreams. That's why it's green, right? <laughs> maybe it will be valuable, and maybe it won't. For sure, it won't be until we finish it. If I have a choice between working on new code or having cash in my wallet, I'm choosing the cash every single time. This yeah. dude has a mortgage. That's what we're talking about here. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> Remember I told you that story, that 20-something I was interviewing who, who Googled me before the interview realized like I was part of the Borg, that I'd been involved with Microsoft and things like that, and literally in the interview railed at me right, about how data wanted to be free and I was part of the problem? Wow. And I, and I looked at him. I said, once he wound down, I said, like, are you done? And then I said, you know, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to wait till you're 35, married, mortgage, and two kids. You'll kick your own ass. That's right. Which he did. Uh -huh. Of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. Back to the story. All right. We also forget how many years of testing effort has gone into the old code base. Yes, it may be ugly, but that ugliness is sometimes the scars of many hard-fought battles. This battle-hardened code comes with years of baked-in QA testing and bug removal. By throwing away the code and starting over, you're ignoring this historical value. Amen. Yeah. Also, by throwing away legacy code and starting over, you are showing your hubris by believing that you can just rewrite it and, one, make it pretty, and, mm. two, make it work right out of the box. Look at something you wrote even a month or two ago and ask yourself how good it really is. My right. guess is not as great as you expect your new code to be. Yeah, dreams are always shinier. Hmm. Personally, I prefer working on old code. It gives me an opportunity to show how much better developer I am than the previous guy. Look, <laughs> especially when that previous guy is you. <laughs> Look, I have reduced the line count by 50% increased the throughput by 100%. Just yeah, saying. Just saying. All right. I got no arguments with William. Very good. Thank you, William. The Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, send us a comment on the website, on Facebook, on Google+, anywhere you want to write a comment. And you can write them on any of our mobile apps, too, because we've got them for Android, for Windows Phone 7 and 8, for iOS, and for Windows 8. That's right. And that brings us to our guest today. Ida Marcinershko is an expert on search technologies, distributed systems, and architecture, and has been involved in search engine development and various open source projects for the better part of the past 10 years. Among other things, he's an Apache Lucene.net committer and PMC member, Elasticsearch savant, Microsoft MVP, and the author of RavenDB in Action, published by Manning. Currently, Edamar is self-employed as a consultant and freelance developer doing lots of interesting projects worldwide. Welcome, Edamar. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? Just fine. And I'm, might I say that your Skype from Jerusalem sounds very, very clear. I'm very impressed. And like Richard here. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you got some serious gear. Is that what you're telling me? Yep, yep. Well, you were talking about your microphone. What, what mic are you using? That's the Rode Podcaster. Oh, yeah. That's a sweet mic. Yeah, sure yep. is. Like all these uh, preamp and, and D to A and A to D conversion right in there, all right in the microphone. Just plug, just plug it in the USB and go. 
plug it right in. Very cool. Beautiful. Yeah, I got I got too many complaints about uh, you know meetings go, going really south with sound from my end. Mm. So I just said I'll spend a couple of bucks and get it re- get it right. Very good. So when you say search in your applications, which is what we're here talking about, are you talking about? Uh, Windows applications, mobile applications, web applications, all of the above, any kind of app? Yep, any kind of app. Uh, if you have data somewhere, uh, you probably want to somehow find it, or it doesn't even have to be data. For example, if you want to f- allow for searching for actions or make some sense of logs, which I guess we'll get to as we go along the show. But basically, any piece of data that you have, Let's say even images, we can pretty much index and search quite about everything nowadays. All right, so the answer is linked to Google. Okay, we're done. <laughs> You've been great. No, no, I'm yeah. kidding. Do you want to join my startup? Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of data that Google can't reach, especially if you don't want it to. Um, and this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about here. Yep. Yeah. So how, are, do you think Google has and Google and Bing have sort of raised the bar in terms of you know, what they can find in the way people search things that uh, that makes it um, challenging or difficult to do search? Or is do you just wire up an API and everything's done for you? Absolutely. I think they actually brought the concept or the notion of search to people's minds. But let, let me ask you this. Um, how certain are you that whenever you search Google, you actually get the result that you're looking for? Oh, I'm never, ever convinced. Never convinced. Yeah. I'm in it. Yeah. So the top ranking result is basically whatever Google thinks is best for you, which many times is correct. But there is this concept that called recall, meaning all of those documents that didn't show up in results but may have been relevant to you, and you have no way of knowing whether there is a better option lying out there for you to find that Google didn't uh, just put it in the in the page. Well, and, you know, the reason that they put it in the page is because people pay for it. So, you know. <laughs> let's, gotta, no, let's not get into that corner. Are you getting into a paid list search thing or a real search? No, I no, guess no. you don't have those issues when you're searching your own data. Yeah, um, absolutely. But you can, you know, you can always boost based on various criteria. Sure. Sure. All right. So uh, what is, how, how do we do this and do it smartly? So let's start from the from the beginning, right? So when you search, when you think of search, you basically think about, um, you know, I have this piece of data and it lies somewhere within my, you know, database, and I want to find it somehow. So then you ask, okay, so every every type of database can do this for me. Hmm. Um, our story really begins in the place of uh, in the area that's called full text search. How do you search a word or a couple of words or a name of someone without large stream of text? Right. Think of it of searching of data, um, things, searching for a certain piece of data within unstructured data, right? So database basically has this structure when you can, you know, you search for this type of value and that value is contained within this field. Um, within this column of a SQL database or et cetera, et cetera. So um, my story really begins with search as full text search, meaning I have this huge stream of text. How do I find the name of a person or this noun or this uh, proper name, name of a location within, within this unstructured text? Well, I, I'll tell you this, and I maybe Richard, you guys could correct me, but... Last time I checked, SQL Server doesn't allow searching on text fields. You have to use like some sort of variable varchar, nvarchar, something like that. Is that still the case, Richard? No, you can search on it. It's just not fast. Right. No, so there is this like operator. Um, yes, the like is, operator. Yeah, it's As in, pretty I bad. like my searches to be slow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that's it. So that's, you know, the go-to solution, which as you indicate is very, very bad. Um, there is those, there are, there are those, um, products, you can call them, or add-ons that you can add to your databases, your SQL databases to allow for full text search. SQL has that. Oracle have, have them that you can find that. You okay. can actually have this add-on to your database, but there are not 
as good as you think they, they can be, especially when you have those other solutions available. And that, that's what I'm getting at. So knowing your background with RavenDB and other NoSQL databases, you, you, uh, I think what you're saying is that a NoSQL database has a better uh, performance when it comes to full text searching? Not necessarily. It depends no. what is the underlying technology. Okay. So the RavenDB is actually based on a search engine. The indexing mechanism of RavenDB is a search engine. Hmm. It is called Lucene.net, mm-hmm. and that's a .NET port of the Java Lucene project, uh, the Apache Java Lucene project. Yeah. And Lucene is basically an implementation of a full-text search engine in Java, in open source, under the Apache software license. And you can basically add search using Lucene to any of your projects. So assuming you are a Java developer, you would use Java Lucene. If you are a .NET developer, you use uh, Lucene.NET. Okay. So is it more performant then using SQL Server for full-text search? Yes. Not only it's more performant, it also allows you for many fine-tunings and many customizations and relevance ranking and supporting many different languages, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So you get a handful of more um, features and things that you're really interested in when dealing with search. And what about MongoDB or any other document database? Yeah, so MongoDB, for example, doesn't have full-text search built in. Um, you, I think, I'm not familiar enough with it. I think you, the solution basically you'd, would usually involve uh, adding some sort of a projection to Lucene or Elasticsearch or any of those search uh, services. Um, I know Couchbase, that's the solution for Couchbase, for example, or CouchDB. Um, it really, again, it really depends on the underlying technology. For RavenDB specifically, Lucene.net, which is a search engine, this is what powers RavenDB's indexes. That's why you get full text search for free with RavenDB. Okay. And, and so uh, I guess what I'm saying is, are you just saying everybody switch to RavenDB and that's your solution or are there other solutions? No, because uh, again, RavenDB uses Lucene under the hood, right? But it, you know, it also hides a lot of complexity, and it's not a search server; it's a database server, which also supports, uh, you know, full text search indexes. Um, but uh, if you want to search, you really need to understand what you're looking for, um, and then again, if it makes sense for your uh, scenario to use a database that enables full text search out of the box, RavenDB may be the the solution for you. But you can also look at other other things like using Lucene.net, uh, embedding Lucene.net in your application. Yeah. Or maybe using Elasticsearch or Solar, which are uh, an evolution of those search engines. So, what if you're like most of our listeners have data in SQL Server or maybe in you know, Azure, SQL, uh, and you want to do full text search and you're having, you know, performance issues and stuff like that. I mean, I think those are the people that we want to reach, right? Yep. So basically, again, it depends on how you host your application, what data sizes you have, et cetera, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. if um, using RavenDB for your application makes sense and you're not l- looking for, you know, really high-end search capabilities, then switching to RavenDB may be the option. Um, but a lot of times people find that using Lucene.net or Elasticsearch and Solar, which I haven't yet discussed and, and I'll be happy to expand okay. on that, um, re- repli- replicating the data, projecting that data out into external data search server will I actually see. make more sense for them. So I see. So you, yeah, and that, I guess that's the scenario that uh, is probably more common where, you know, we have our database, we have DBAs, we have a whole infrastructure and lots of uh, investment in it. It's not like we can just switch. We, what you're saying is you now replicate that into some other external database that is more easily searchable. And that seems like a really good opportunity to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because what happens if you have, for example, in your data set, you have data f- from five different languages. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with that? Right. Right. So you do really need in, at some point in some types of application, 
you actually do need to to use decent proper search engine that yeah. actually lets you do that and it actually lets you tweak relevance and again i mentioned this before but for example uh what if you want to enable search on images mm-hmm. based on color mm. or search for you know locations on earth right so now you have an opportunity to tag up that data with stuff that actually can be searched against yeah because once you use a decent search engine and you have all the power in your hands you can basically play with it and do really really nifty stuff yeah that's a great solution um especially because now we're not trying to bolt on some other you know long process running stuff to our SQL server that's going to interfere yeah. with the day-to-day operation. Definitely, hmm. yeah. I guess it depends on how frequently those documents are actually changing, although my experience, sure. generally, they're not. You're just adding new ones. Yeah, but but again, if you want to support decent search, you really want to use the right tool for the job. Right. You don't want to treat a SQL server or any other database for that end as a silver bullet, not even RavenDB, because again, RavenDB is not just a search server. Yeah, sure. and, and, and I'm of the mind, as a SQL guy, I don't like putting big documents in my database at all. I'd rather have them in the file system and have them linked right. at, as references in the database. It just makes for ugly databases. But and table th- scans take forever, for example. Yeah, and it's just... It's sucky. Like, it's not a good idea to, to do it this way. Yeah. But I do like the idea that I have a search system that's agnostic to where the document is actually stored. Mm-hmm. But then I could, you know, use it. You know, it doesn't matter where we put the files, really. If we, As long as we index them all into the search tool, life's pretty good. So you want to talk about uh, some of these tools, Elasticsearch, Savant? Yeah. So, yeah. So, <laughs> so the, the, Problem you could say with Lucene or Lucene.net is that it is a search engine library which you embed to your application, whether it's Java or uh, C Sharp or F Sharp or whatever, and you index stuff in using that library into a file system index usually. Now, what happens if you have too much data that cannot fit on index on one server, on one PC, right? Mm-hmm. Or what happens if you want to enable high availability? So you want to have this index replicated across multiple machines, right? Yeah. So that that's a real problem, okay? And that's something that has been in, in the works for quite a, quite a lot of years. And uh, Solar is, I think, the first actual implementation of, of a solution. Or uh, actually, I'm not really correct about that. Um, there are other solutions before that, but the point is that somehow we needed a Lucene index to to span across multiple nodes to support sharding. Basically, you know, having one big index span across multiple nodes or replicating the index. Meaning, I want to have this index. Um, cloned on multiple servers, so if one server crashes, I can just access that other server. Right. So that's where Solar, Elasticsearch um, actually come into play. And these are two uh, different products, right? A- Apache Solar is S-O-L-R, and Elasticsearch, these are two different products? They're not the same? Yes. So okay. Solar has also been separated from Lucene back in the day. Nowadays, they are sharing the same Apache project. Okay. Um, basically, it's the same open source project nowadays. Um, and Solar, so that Solar Elasticsearch is also open source released under the Apache software license, but it's a different, uh, it's a different open source project and it's actually backed by a company under the same name. Yeah. Um, and they're growing exponentially in the, they are currently about 140 employees and I mean, they are really growing really, really uh, nicely. Wow. Um, but the idea, again, is t- those products, those software products, basically are in charge of taking your Lucene index, hiding that Lucene index from you, and exposing some sort of API that, as far as you're concerned, you're talking with the Lucene index, but that Lucene index can span across many nodes in, in the numbers of thousands even. Now this now you, it does require a Lucene index, so that means that uh, bolting this on to SQL Server is out. You cannot really use SQL Server, you know, in tandem Got with it. Elasticsearch and Solar, but you can replicate from SQL Server if you want to enable 
proper full text search, uh, et cetera, et cetera, you can replicate the data projected to those services. All right. So, so the, the pattern we're talking about here is replicate to a RavenDB database, which has not RavenDB, not RavenDB. No, replicate from SQL Server to Elasticsearch or Solar or Lucene.net. Okay, so these are databases in, in and of themselves. They're not just indexers. No, so I wouldn't call them databases. They are search servers. Mm-hmm. Um, point being, they are not intended to store data. They are really intended on actually providing you search capabilities on your data. I guess I was I was confused, and you're probably answering this right as I'm asking you. But um, I, I was confused because you said you take a, a Lucene uh, index and use that with uh, Elasticsearch, but then uh, SQL Server doesn't have a Lucene indexes. So where does that all come from? So yeah, so Elasticsearch and Solar are standalone products. You would just you know, Elasticsearch and Solar are both in Java, so you just um, run them as a process. You can do that on Windows, you can do that on Linux, and you will just have, once you have launched them, you'll have some sort of an HTTP endpoint enabled. Okay. And they will listen on HTTP, and they will accept, uh, they have REST, they're exposing REST API. And that API, you access it to index data, to query, you do all sorts, all sorts of things. So what you would do from your database, be, be whatever it be, SQL Server or whatever, you will just somehow, and we can t- talk about those techniques, but you okay. can just replicate from SQL Server to those search servers. Now, those search servers, Elasticsearch or Solar, are you know self-hosted on the same machine or on another machine, mm-hmm. and you will just talk to them using REST API. I see. Got it. So what sort of replication are we doing with SQL Server to uh, the searchable store? Okay, so that really depends on your scenario. Um, basically, uh, I guess you just want to replicate all the things, as they say. Just take everything you have on a SQL that you want searchable and push it to Elasticsearch. Then you somehow need to know whenever things change so you can update the search server accordingly. Um, you can use external versioning. You can. There are many techniques, many ways of doing that. But the basic idea behind the whole thing is that index on that um, search server, be it Elasticsearch or Solar, it should really be volatile. Mm. So Elasticsearch and Solar, those search servers, are really hosting an index for you. So they, uh, they provide search services to your data, and you just need to populate them with your data. You should not... The, the general recommendation is not to use them as a single source of truth. Sure. You should not replace them with your database. Right. You just need to replicate the data from the database to those indexes. Right. You're only using them for searching. Got so, it. So I can imagine taking the searchable uh, criteria, searchable columns, or perhaps the document itself, and some unique identifier. So you go back to the database to actually find the record you want once you've finished the search and they've said, yeah, that's what I want. But I guess the question is, how do I express that data out to to Lucene in a timely fashion? Like, is this just code I should be writing that when I write the transaction, I also fire a copy off to Lucene? Right. Are we in the triggers in SQL now? I wouldn't recommend that. You you can go that route. Uh, Richard, I know you like SQL, but I wouldn't go that route. I yeah, I like SQL, but sort- I don't like triggers. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that's you know, so I, that, that, that's, that's the way seri- experienced SQL people feel. <laughs> yeah, I see. So I would actually have some sort of a, of a service running in the background, right. to keep them in sync. Or as as I said before, um, that index should really you should really think of it as something volatile that you can just destroy. So, for example, you can just recreate the index every twenty four hours or every hour or whatever makes sense in your from your business perspective. Mm-hmm. All right, but yeah. I guess there's no sort of stuff there. There's no stuff written to do this with SQL Server nicely. You're on your own. It sounds like I wouldn't say so. I mean, no. Ba- basically, yes. I mean, if you have you know your own logic, etc. Basically, yes. But the nice thing about Elasticsearch, for example, is they're looking at the entire stack. They're not just building that search server. They actually, they, it's called nowadays the ELK stack, the Elk mm-hmm. Elk stack. Okay. Um, ELK stands for Elasticsearch, Logstash, and Kibana. Mm-hmm. 
And Logstash is a way for you to collect data from various sources, do some sort of processing with them if you if you want to, and then push that um, to to Elasticsearch for indexing. So, for example, it's being used. It's called Logstash because it's being used to um, to collect logs from many servers and slice and dice. Not slice and dice, but um, make some make some something meaningful out of them. And that something meaningful is now a JSON document that you can push to Elasticsearch for indexing. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think this this feels like something you want to cover with code. That it's not really an administrator's job to extract SQL data for Lucene, because I think you want to add some intelligence here. That you sort of aggregate the appropriate information that's indexable, push that to Lucene, which then has the index and so forth, and you're still writing code to actually do the searches as well. No, I, I don't know what you mean by aggregate, but you you just project usually from SQL database to Elasticsearch. So right. you would need to create out of the object objects or whatever you have stored within uh, SQL, you'll create, as you said before, you'll create a document out of it and push it to uh, Elasticsearch for indexing. So Elasticsearch talks in terms of documents, right? Right, And you search for documents. And SQL, for example, um, talks in concepts of objects or tables and rows that some you somehow form obje- objects from. And so you'll just need to create that object from SQL, transform it into a document, add, add fields, remove fields, whatever you, you, you deem appropriate, and then push that to Elasticsearch. Right. Right. So back to the topic of Logstash, if you'd notice, um, usually what you'd actually index or collect from logs to push to Elasticsearch isn't really full text search. Uh, many times it will be, but a lot of times it won't be full text search. It will be numbers, it will be entities, it will be that kind of stuff. Think about HTTP logs, for example. You have yeah. IP addresses, you have status codes, you have date, date stamps, right? Yep. Um, you have URLs, those kind of stuff. So that's where really those, uh, for me, it's some sort of a story of uh, evolution of a technology, right? It, it started with full text search and people realized they can use it for other things. So a good example for that um, is what's called faceted search, um, where you can drill down into data. Right. That's something a bit different. But what people use that faceted search, um, they evolve this even further and they just using Elasticsearch to make sense out of logs. So they're using Logstash to collect logs from various different places the, to grok those logs. That's how it's called in Logstash. Yes. Make some something you know structured out of those logs, push that as a document to Elasticsearch, and now they will use Elasticsearch to aggregate, to do real-time aggregations on, on that data. So that's not full-text search anymore, but it's 100% using the same technology, same techniques as full text search. Yeah. Hey, Inamar, hang on one second, because Richard, you know what time it is. Oh, it must be that happy time again. You got it. It's time to push this intelligent talk to a search service so we can find the nugget of greatest stupidity. <laughs> same joke, different context. There you go. That's my job. He's just switching technologies out from under us. That's what happens. So actually, it's time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, man. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Dominique Gaucher. Congratulations, Dominique. Yeah. Golf clap for you. Dominique just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from DevExpress just for being a member of the fan club. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and we love to give away sponsor stuff on every show. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member. And this is the last show in November, so that December thing is really close. It's really close. <laughs> <laughs> one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club is going to get a $5,000 shopping spree this year. might be you, but you got to sign up. 
And we also like to ask our guests, Itamar, if you had $5,000 U.S. to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? So I'm not really the, you know, the gadget type. I don't have any wristband or anything, <laughs> but I usually put my gadgets in my car. Yeah. So I guess some sort of an Android uh, type of thing to my, uh, m- or my, you know, multimedia machine. I don't know. You can buy a hell of a subwoofer for $5,000. I already have that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> buy another one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> bigger speaker, good. Subwoofer under the seat. <laughs> Just buzz me right up to the <laughs> no, roof. You don't want that. No, you don't. You really I love don't. it. <laughs> Anything else that's uh, catching your fancy technology wise that might be out of reach? I don't in know. In reach, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think I will have my gadgets in my car. Yeah. I really like that. What do you drive? A Seat Ibiza, actually. Not something too fancy, but it leaves some money to actually spend on gadgets to my car. Nice. Sure. Nice. Okay. Well, we just don't see Fiat's much in North America at all, so yep. they're all very exotic over here. That's Seat with an S, right? Oh, Seat. Oh, okay. I thought you said Fiat. Yes. No, we don't have Seat in North America at all. Yeah. yeah. All right. Touché. Well, uh, so, so I'm really interested. I didn't mean to derail the conversation there, but we had to pay the bills. So let's get back to, um, to our discussion of, uh, you know, I think most of our listeners are are probably SQL server people just uh knowing the audience there there is a growing um contingent of uh no SQL guys here and gals but i would think that the uh, you know getting our stuff from uh searchable from SQL server is probably the big reason people are listening today yeah so i would actually i would actually propose to uh you know to benefits to this discussion that you can actually use a SQL Server, sorry, you can use those technologies from SQL Server. Mm-hmm. So one one is really full text search um, that I think those technologies do much better than what you have nowadays with the SQL Server. Mm-hmm. And we can definitely, I can definitely go into more depth into uh, discussing that. But the SQL Server has also been used a lot for BI, for you know making sense out of data, for slicing and dicing data. And Elasticsearch, that's actually a, a really interesting story. So for me, it, it's really what's interesting for me in Lucene and Elasticsearch is really the full text part of stuff. Mm. But for some reason, people actually go to Elasticsearch, um, maybe for full text search, but then they see the aggregations framework or the slicing and dicing of data, the ability you have to slice and dice the data. And they say, Oh, we have aggregations. So forget about full text search. We'll just go and use the aggregations uh, framework. Yeah. So that's actually one of the biggest gains that you can get from those technologies. Um, so it's, it's quite about the same. I mean, once you index data from SQL server, you can facilitate full text search or you can use the aggregations framework. Okay. But both are, I think, worth mentioning. Oh, very good. What, what about? I mean, one of the things I was thinking here, having an external indexing service is now that I could have multiple sources of data too, yet my search tool would work pretty much the same no matter what. So how about using multiple sources of data? So I've got some stuff in SQL, maybe I've got some Raven somewhere, or I've just got some files on a drive. How hard is it to take those multiple sources of data and put them all in a in a common Lucene index for searching? So not at all. Um, let's assume for for a second that we're using Elasticsearch or Solar because the you know the distributed uh, characteristics and the nicer API. Not at all. You can just index it into different indexes, or you can have within one index different types. Right. Um, that's at least how, at least how it's called in Elasticsearch. So it really depends on what are those sources of data. But for example, you can use one Elasticsearch cluster. Meaning, you know, many, many nodes, but sharing the same cluster. So you only talk with one cluster as far as you're concerned. You don't care about how many nodes you have that you have there and then index all of those different feeds into one cluster. So some to, you know, different indexes, some to one index under different types. Um, and then basically search on that in a multi-tenant way, right? So for example, Elasticsearch allows you to issue one search against multiple indexes at once. So it, it can get really, you have pretty much all the power that you need to do everything you want. Right. And I think that's, 
that to me is a really interesting part of thinking about my application in terms of having a generalized search mechanism for all kinds of data. And it's going to be able to look in all of it, not that you have to use one search tool over here and a different search tool over there and, and so on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Although Elasticsearch, for example, does provide you some other mechanisms for search. So you have this thing that's called suggestures. So there are optimized, um, you can say it's an optimized search engine that allows you to perform searches in a much faster rate. Those are usually used, for example, for the, you know, search bars on websites. When you go to Amazon and you start typing in the name of the product that you're looking for, you really expect faster responses. And that's where those suggestions come in because they use, um, different data structures and faster data structures to actually provide that specific type of search, which is a bit different than full text search. Right. I just poking around the Lucene open source site. I see there's link to Lucene. Is that actually a workable product or is it you're we better off going to Elasticsearch? I know of big products and products that you're aware of that use it and as, as, as I can tell for great success. Um, I personally don't use it. I right. prefer as a Lucene.net committer, I prefer using the raw Lucene bits, but, mm. uh, people are using, uh, link to Lucene. I cannot recommend that, but I can, I can tell you it's being used and successfully. So. Yeah, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm a little nervous because it's marked as an alpha. It, its last check-in, I think, was in 2012, So, which may just mean it's done, right? Like it works, mm -hmm. but it may also mean wow. that it's just not going anywhere. So I appreciate your insight <laughs> there. It is up to date of dot, as of .NET 4. Um, yeah, so it's, maybe it's a bit of our fault as a Lucene.net project leaders um, because we, we are pretty much lag lagging behind the Java project. And I will maybe want to use this opportunity to actually tell people who are interested in search and whom they th maybe they think they have good use for search and they need to use Lucene.net as a library, as embedded library, and not as Elasticsearch or Solar in the cloud, for example. Uh, go and check Lucene.net. Uh, see the library. We are currently in an effort to uh, push for, towards a 4.8 release, uh, which the current release that we have out is a 3.0.3, which is quite old. Right. Um, mm. And we are trying to catch up to the Java Lucene versions, including many, many features that we currently don't have released. So go check out the project, see if maybe you can help jump in. Maybe by the time you hear this, we will have a, re a release out. Probably not, but still. <laughs> um, but it's one of those reminders of just how close together Java and C Sharp actually are. The languages are just not that far apart. No, but there, there are some really, really, really big differences that it takes time to overcome. Oh, for sure. I want to right. jump back into um, the, the, uh, the SQL Server full text search here, just because I'm wondering if there's any s sort of tests, the performance tests that have been done between taking the same SQL Server database and using the full text search capabilities of that versus, you know, taking this hybrid approach where we export the the data that we want to search on into uh solar or or uh Elasticsearch or one of these things and seeing how they compare. Do you do you know of anybody who's done that comparison? So I guess you're not referring to the like operator again because that's just that's that's just a table scan. Yeah, yeah. I'm, t I'm talking about the SQL server full text search service. Yeah, so I, I'm not aware of any up-to-date um, benchmarks. I think I've seen once in the past, but I can't really. I, maybe I'll try look them up. Um, I'm not. I'm not familiar with any ones that I can give you right now. Sure. Okay. Uh, I would. I would say the differences are are huge, because because again, Elasticsearch, Solar, Lucene are products that have been built exactly for that reason sure. for over a decade. And SQL, you know, full text search for SQL is just an add-on, just something to help you do something. Okay. Well, you know, if any of our listeners have done that test or would like to do that and chime in, leave a comment. Definitely worth repeating. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the full text search feature of SQL Server is a separate, it's an uh, optional component. You have to install it and set it up. Mm -hmm. it, it's got yes. a lot more capability. It, it eats up a, bit, a fair bit of disk space, but, you know, disk space is cheap. 
and uh, it it actually does this the source calculation and so forth. It analyzes the text so that it can get fairly good index performance. But you still get back to this idea of are you happy putting large documents in your database? You mean Elasticsearch or you mean SQL? Well, we're talking about the C- SQL full text search. So I don't have much experience with SQL. I mean, I'm a Lucene, Lucene guy from back in the day, so I didn't really even bother to play with SQL right. full text search too much. Um, but you know, I would I would probably not put data, uh, you know, large pieces of data into SQL just to enable a search on that. Yeah, yeah. I and I totally agree with you there, uh, Edmar. Yeah. Yeah, it, the way I'm, I'm thinking about this, the way I'm boxing this thing in is this idea that I'm going to build a search service inside of my application and it might hit more than one store. I don't really care where we end up storing data. The The modern app that I'm seeing these days has multiple data stores now. We're not putting everything in SQL because it's not always a good place to put stuff. And so as soon yeah. as you get into that situation, how do you manage searching everything? Yeah, so I think I, I, think I understand where you're getting at. Uh, basically, once you've indexed data into Elasticsearch or Solar or Lucene for that matter, um, you basically not just index, but you also give it the source document. So those technologies, you can actually, you know, you enable search on stuff, but you can also, also get that stuff back from, from those technologies. So you don't really have to do the round trip back again to your database unless you have any good reason to do so, but you don't have to do this round trip. So basically, you get you end up with having some, you know, one-way street. You only only replicate data, you save data into your database. You replicate that to your search server, right. and queries go to the search server as a read facade and get that data back as results, but including all the content that you also need for display. Yeah, and I don't know if I even need the content so much as I just want to know, go to this source, ask for this index ID, you'll get your document. I guess so, yeah. You know, I'm, and I'm just trying not to duplicate too much stuff, essentially. And you, you said right off the bat here that you want the Lucene index to be regenerable. You don't want to rely on it for data. It's just an index. Yeah, but it still doesn't mean that in normal operation, you have to visit the document store or the database. Right. All over again. Yeah, no, I, I buy that. That's a, that's a good thought. Uh, my only fear about regenerating the indexes, too, is just how big are they? How long does it take to generate them if we're thumbing through millions of documents? Um, not, not, not as much as you would expect, actually. I mean, it's quite fast to do that. If you're using batching and you know your way around the technologies, which right. in this area, it's not that hard to learn. Um, you can get quite quite fast indexing rates. Again, people are using Elasticsearch to index logs and, and mountains of logs, really. Right. And it, it, it keeps up to speed, so it keeps the and pace. I guess the debate in my head is, are we better off generating a new set and throwing away the old set, say, once a week? And then we're always adding to it as stuff's being done. But just to de- sooner or later, you're going to have a synchronization problem, right? Like sooner or later, there's going to be something left behind in the index and the actual document's gone or something that's, in, that's a document that never got indexed. Like stuff happens. It's just a question yes. of, how, you know, do I write a routine to try and keep them in sync to find the mistakes or do I just rebuild on a routine basis? I guess it again. It really depends on the structure, on the architecture of your system. Um, I would indeed recommend that you have a way to destroy the index and rebuild it, right? Um, because there are some known issues with uh, with Elasticsearch and Solar in those terms. They are being worked on. Um, you can search for Elasticsearch resiliency document. That's called. Um, th- there are known issues, um, and. They are being worked on, but again, the recommendation is to really make this index volatile because again, it's just a read facade. Um, it all, you also may want to change it every now and then, change the way you analyze stuff, as you mentioned. I mean, um, change the analyzer, which is the bit that c- controls, for example, stemming and all those full text search uh, kind of stuff or change the structure of the document, et cetera, et cetera. So because it's just a read facade and you want it to be as flexible as it can be, you do want to be able to just flush it or destroy it and create a new one instead. Sure. 
Well, and when I think about Elasticsearch, I start thinking about stuff like this write to one place, read from another place sort of pattern with databases yeah. where I could just use Elasticsearch for all the reads and have the common write point. Yes, and Elasticsearch is really efficient in that. And just now in version 1.4, they introduced another layer of caching internally to Elasticsearch. Yes, that's that's where I'm usually aiming at when I'm with clients. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it, 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 that's really interesting to me, Edimar, because when you do that with databases, the licensing gets really expensive mm-hmm. fast. So, yeah, this yeah, idea. So Elasticsearch is free. Yeah, that's yeah, a, can't argue with that price. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Microsoft's yeah. raised the prices on SQL licenses. Like now, I have customers that are going back and saying, "Well, if we're going to move to the latest version, are we really? Do we really need that many cores? Do we really need that many instances? Can we narrow this down?" It's it's just driving us to these special, more specialized tools for particular roles in our data retrieval process. Right. Yeah, I just I always say use the right tool for the right job. Yeah. And those search engines have been in the works for over fifteen years now. Lucene specifically, and obviously Solar and Elasticsearch, which basically wrap Lucene. They just have they have Lucene in their core. I mean, use the tool that's right for the job for fifteen years plus, and and you know you can live peacefully. Sure. Yeah, good stuff. So, Edmar, where do you send folks when they want to get started with Lucene and Elasticsearch and and Solar? Hmm, there is depends what you want to start with. The documentation of uh, Elasticsearch is very good. They just released a book um, that's really it's you know it's more of, of the on the beginner side of things and it dives deep deeper as the books go along. I can recommend their book. It's also available. Uh, you can buy it. It's it's from O'Reilly and you can actually read it for free on the internet. Uh, I I'll give you guys the link. Sure. Um, that's Elasticsearch. Um, in terms of, uh, I would actually recommend looking at Elasticsearch and not on Solar because of reasons, because of many reasons. Um, but you may want to cut it out. It depends on what you, whether you want flame wars in the comments. Um, <laughs> and if you actually want to start with Lucene, there is a great book by Manning. It's called uh, Lucene in Action. It's been written by actual Lucene committers. Um, and that's the place I would actually direct people to. So um, those are two books. Um, you can find plenty of information on the internet as well. Um, many video tutorials as well. Great. Edomar, thank you so much for joining us this hour. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a